Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as Pastor Randy takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're beginning in chapter 3 of Revelation, continuing the letter to the church of Sardis, discussing how a church can be busy with works, yet dead in the spirit. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue a journey in the Word. Let's pick up this morning as we begin to look, um, and let's go to verse 1 and read for context here of chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1, and then we'll pray. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, last week we kind of broke into this. I gave you the background on this particular city, this particular church, and we began looking at Jesus' description of himself and, you know, two things that he says right up front that, you know, he's the one who has the seven spirits of God, and we spent some time kind of taking that apart. It comes right out of the passage in Isaiah. It's there. This is the Holy Spirit. It's his functional characteristics that it's speaking of, and, and Jesus is saying, I hold those. I I am those. I am because he's one with the spirit and the spirit is one with him and they're one with the father. They all are God, you see, all one God. But at the same time, he also said that he is uh, the one who has the seven stars. And we've talked about that previously. And again, the, the illusion is that um, some believe that it's speaking specifically of the pastors of these churches, that he holds the pastors in his hands. I don't doubt that. And I do believe he's speaking to the pastors of these churches as he is to these congregations. Some believe that based on the language, it's a reference to the angel angels that have been given charge over these congregations. And we can make a strong case for that based on the language in the Hebrew that's used there, that that may have very well been the case. I like to say he's speaking through both. You know, he's dealing with both in this. But after describing himself, Jesus immediately launches into his rebuke of this church. And you're going to note something here because this is one of only two churches that Jesus will go straight to the problem. Every other church that we've looked at so far, with the exception of the one we'll be coming to, which is Laodicea, Jesus always begins with something he knows about them that's good. He begins to go through the things he sees that they're doing that are right before he gets to the criticism that he has of them. But in this case, there's nothing good going on. That's the implication. There's nothing good going on in this church that's even worth mentioning other than a few struggling believers who he will commend before this is over with. But by and large, this is a church that is absolutely dysfunctional. And sadly, there are a lot of churches like this in the world today where if Jesus spoke a message, I believe this, that if Jesus spoke a message to them, he would not have anything good to say to them. 
He wouldn't have anything good to say. Churches that have moved so far from him, so far from the truth. Churches where where true spiritual things have deteriorated so much that he wouldn't have anything good. That there's nothing in those churches, in many cases, more than a remnant. But praise God, in those churches where the remnant, God is honoring the remnant. I don't know, I mentioned on Wednesday night, but I'm sure you've been following the, the debate that's been raging within the Methodist, the United Methodist Church. And, and praise God for the remnant, because they stood their ground in saying, you know what, we're not going to go with the culture. We're not going to adapt the Bible to the culture and change what the Bible says to accommodate the culture. We're going to take our stand. And when this debate first began, it was thought that what was going to happen is that the remnant were going to have to leave and, and fracture off and become their own movement. But by the time this thing got finished, they're the ones that are still standing, and the others will, if they choose not to stand on Scripture, will be moving out to find other things. Now, I don't know how that all develop. I'm not a follower of, of, of all the different denominations, but you know what? My prayer through that whole week, I had no criticism for that church other than, you know, where they wanted to go with things. My heart was, Lord, honor these steadfast believers. And I'm not just praying that for, you know, the Methodist church. I'm praying it for all the different churches who truly profess to know Christ. I'm praying that for Calvary chapels today because we see crazy stuff even happening within our own movement of wanting to go different directions. I mean, there's a segment of our entire movement that's now saying, you know what, well, we ought to stay away from the issue of prophecy because it's dark and it scares people and it really has no relevance to today. Well, gee, we're looking at a whole book of prophecy and we've already found relevance in this. We cannot discard things. And so, you know what? The prayer is for the remnant, but, but God honors the remnant. But I think that there's so many churches today that if he had a word for him, it'd just be a negative word. You know, you're not following what I'm asking you to do. You're not standing on my word. You're not being faithful in these things. But what is it that Jesus finds specifically wrong with this church? Well, read again. He begins again in those verses, and he says this. He immediately moves to it, and he says, I know your works. Look again. He says, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but what? You are dead. Here it is. You, you have a name, and, and you're alive, but in reality, you're dead. Now, <laughs> Jesus here, he's beginning the same way he always does, by telling him, I know your works. This, this time, though, the works that he knows, they're not good works. In fact, he says that this church, there's nothing but spiritual deadness going on within. Nothing but spiritual deadness, even though he says that externally they have a reputation. And that's what it literally means when he says you have a name. You have a reputation of being a spiritually alive one of my congregations. But ultimately what he's saying to them is it's just a mask. It's just a mask, a false front that's hiding the true spiritual condition that you're in. And that true spiritual condition is nothing less than spiritual deadness within. And as he always does, Jesus sees beyond the external, you see? He, he's not looking at all these external things. He sees beyond the reputation. He sees beyond those things with us. We can come in here and, and act all Christian-like. We can come in here and act all spiritual-like, carrying the biggest Bibles in the world. But you know what? Jesus could care less about all of that because what he's looking at is the same thing he's looking at in this church. He's piercing right through those things and looking right at the heart of things, looking right at what's going on inside. And what Jesus sees in this isn't life. What he sees instead is death and deadness. 
Now think about that in contrast to the other churches that Jesus has already spoken to. Consider the church of Ephesus, you know. Ephesus was also a church that, that Jesus rebuked and indicated they had, had a lot going on externally, a lot of good works, right? He, he commended them for the good works. But, but Jesus, even with them, he never accused the church in Ephesus of being dead inwardly. He had a problem because they'd lost the, the reason for doing it. They'd lost that sense of love that, that compelled them to those works, and it was becoming more mechanical than anything else. But he never accused them of this not even close. But in this church, despite all of the outward appearances of life, Jesus is saying that the outward appearances, they're deceiving because despite all the signs of life, they're really not alive. They're really dead spiritually. Now let's follow that thread just a little bit. If, if they're really as dead as Jesus says they are, then it follows that all the works that they're engaging in for him or in his name are nothing more than dead works. If they're dead, then the works that they're doing that's giving them the reputation that they have a reputation for, the things that they're doing in his name are really dead works. Maybe they were feeding the hungry. Maybe they were providing clothing to the poor. Maybe they were an extremely charitable church and performing lots of wonderful works of benevolence, caring for the poor and the helpless. Maybe they had lots of great community support programs going on. Maybe their service, their services that they were holding were even incredibly upbeat and, and seemingly alive. But in the end, it really doesn't matter because works apart from a living faith are spiritually dead works. You see, there's the difference between this church and the church in Ephesus. Love was an issue for them, but faith was not. We have no mention of faith in this church, none whatsoever. Now, you see, when you don't have that going on, you might feel good about what you're doing spiritually, but it's not really yielding anything with God. It's just not yielding anything. In order for our works to matter, living faith has to be at the heart of it all. Living faith has to be at the core of it. Living, heart, living faith must be at the heart of the work for the work to be alive spiritually. The scriptures are clear about that. Now, I'm not saying that they might not have been a, 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 been confessing some aspects of belief in God. I'm not saying that. They may very well have been, you know, confessing some aspects of belief in God. I suspect they recited and they ascribed all the key creeds of the church of the day. This would probably even many of their works that they were doing were likely being done in the name of Jesus, attributing those works to him. This is clearly implied in the wording that Jesus is using here. But this doesn't mean that their faith in him was really a living faith. It doesn't mean it was a living faith. You know, James tells us in James chapter 2 and verse 19, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. See, James is clear. Just because you believe some things about God, that doesn't mean that you have a faith in him. They can be two very different things. Jesus warned the same thing. He warned the same thing. I mean, how many of us just, you know, have overinterpreted this passage to our own lives? And I would encourage you, you probably have no reason to fear this if you know the Lord. But I mean, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse beginning in verse 21, Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father in heaven 
Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? When our service is the biggest in the area, weren't, our, weren't, weren't we just doing all kinds of good works? Didn't we do all this stuff where we just dump money into the community? Didn't we do all these things? Sorry, that's my paraphrase edition. Right? You guys know that. But what does he say to them? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Oh, man, I don't know you. Jesus, you know, he's saying here, just because you use the lingo of salvation, just because you use that, just because you, you, you might even do mighty works in my name, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you know me or that I know you. It's a matter of heart, not works, you see. It's a matter of heart and not works. And, and the church of Sardis is a, is a perfect illustration of where this heart and works have broken down, where it's all fallen apart. Despite all that they were doing, despite their reputation spiritually, there's no indication that this church had a living faith in Christ. In fact, Jesus is saying that the opposite exists. He's saying that this church, by and large, not everybody in it, but by and large, is filled with people whose faith is really dead. And thus, this church itself is spiritually dead. And as a result, their works that they've gained a re- reputation for themselves through are really dead works in God's eyes. But here's the really scary part of it all. I don't think they had a clue. Based on what he's saying here, I don't think they had a clue. I don't think they realized this. I suspect that if you were to walk up to one of the members of this church and told them that you thought that they were spiritually dead and that all they were doing was nothing more than dead works, they'd probably be offended. They'd, they'd probably tell you to take a hike and, and they'd point out their reputation. They'd point out their history. They'd point out all of these things that they're doing externally as justification of spiritual life. There are people like that in churches like this today. There are people like this, people in churches who have no clue about their true spiritual state because they are looking at things that are simply not reliable indicators of true spirituality. You know, I had an opportunity. I don't even want to say the city where it's at. But I had an opportunity to go to a city and, and speak at a conference. And uh, when I was there, it, it was a city that's well known for the number of churches it has. In fact, it is, has one of the, it's one of the cities in America that has one of the, the largest population of church, you know, ratio of church to people anywhere on the planet. I, I'm not well in America. I shouldn't say on the planet, but in the United States. And the pastor there of the church that I was fellowshipping with, it said, this is a hard ground. He said, you know what? He said, it's interesting. He said, these people, their entire spirituality in this city is being based upon all the stuff that they're doing. It has nothing to do with the relationship with the Lord. Nothing to do with the relationship. He said, we have, we are, we have some of the best dressed homeless people in the country. He said, you'll see them in the nicest shoes and the nicest clothing with the best food under there because they're constantly doing it. Now, look, I'm not knocking that. That's good. You know, the works are a part of our lives as believers. We know that from the scriptures. But, but we can't get that before what's important. You see, how those works come about is important. And, and, and unfortunately, they had this out of order. The works for them were driving their spirituality rather than their spirituality driving the works. I, I don't feel bad saying this because I grew up in churches like that. I used to do that kind of nonsense. 
It was all about what I did, not about my relationship with Christ and what he did for me. And, and in receiving that and, and resting in that, then yeah, great works now flow from my heart. But I'm not doing it anymore to merit. I'm not doing it anymore in order to feel spiritual. In fact, I can do 100 good works and I still feel seven days like I'm just not spiritual, period. Because I know who I am as a human being. But I know what this great Jesus did for me. And I'm resting in that. I'm resting in the righteousness that he has brought to my life. I'm resting in in the righteousness that he's instilled within my heart today and changed out. But that's not of my doing. But in this city, the homeless were cared for. Everything's moving. It's pristine. The city's pristine because of these churches. And that's all good, except for the fact, he says, they have no interest in the truth of the gospel itself. I have no interest in that. It's spiritless. It's dead. It's dead. Far too many people are using, and, and it happens even in the midst of, of solid Bible-believing churches, but there are people who are using a wrong measure to assess their spirituality, and I pray it's not you guys. I don't think it is. I'm a proud pastor of you guys, you know. I look at your lives, and I see your struggles, but I see you guys moving forward constantly in the right things, your hunger for the right things, and that's all good. But far, far too many are relying on the wrong measures. They're relying on their works, their, their reputation, and all of this. And I'm just telling you, at the end of the day, that's going to be a bad measure. It's going to be a bad measure. And in regard to reputation, you know, talk about that for a minute. There are a number of things we need to think about. First, reputation can have to do with things in the past, not the present. Do you understand that? Reputation can be built on things in the past, not the present. Generally, reputation is established through an accumulation of ongoing patterns of action or activities over a period of time, much of it resting in past history. In that respect, maybe the congregation, we'll call it the first church of the most holy trinity of Sardis, would say... How dare you challenge my spirituality? Don't you realize that I am a member of one of the most established churches in this town? Our church has been here and served God since before you were even born. We have members dating back to the day the church was established on Pentecost. We have had preachers and teachers come from our midst that have impacted the world for Jesus. Our church has a long and significant spiritual history. We are an established church, a pillar of the community. So where do you get off telling us that we're spiritually dead? Just look at the historical record of the church of which I am a part. But to that, Jesus would simply say, oh, I know your reputation. I'm well aware of your reputation. I know that you have a name that it's well established. But the truth is, I don't care much about your reputation because it doesn't accurately reflect your true spiritual condition. You're living on past merits. You're living on history. And you're trusting in things that have long since died. You're spiritually dead. And you don't even know it. Ooh, scary, isn't it? There's a real warning for us that we need to be very careful that we are resting our spirituality on Jesus and not on anything else. That we're resting it on him and not on anything else. We need to be careful that our testimony for Christ isn't anchored to something that once was, but really isn't anymore. Because if we're doing this, we're hanging our spirituality on a faulty hook. The reality is that these people, and and there are churches today who are based on their reputation, their record of past and present works and associations, they believe because of those things that they're alive, but who 
in fact, are really spiritually dead. I'd argue that we look at the American landscape today and we see these hollow old buildings where congregations still meet, but the lights are out. The lights are out spiritually. The reputations that at one time may have indicated some level of true spirituality at some point in the past is no longer relevant because it no longer exists in their lives. Instead of reflecting what is, it's simply a reflection of what was, and that is a deceptive measure of spirituality. Now, don't rest your spiritual confidence in the things of the past, but look instead at what's happening spiritually now, not externally, but internally. What's happening here? Look at the state of your own heart in relation to Jesus Christ, because that's the real measure of whether you're alive or not. That's the real measure. Some of the greatest churches of all times are now some of the deadest churches of all times. And the people of those churches, because they are resting their spiritual hope and past reputation, they're missing the deadness of it all as it spills over into their own lives. Many of, many of them, in all honesty, and I don't mean this in a cruel way, but many people are on their way to hell and they don't even know it because they refuse to look. Let Jesus' words sink in. Let him who has an ear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Let him who has an ear hear what Jesus says. Second, even though reputation have to do with the past, reputation can also have to do with the present. But on a wrong things that they're looking at in the present, you see. It can be about what people perceive something to be because of the external things that they see happening right now. And in that sense, if you were to confront the congregant from the church of the New Covenant of Smyrna, we'll call that this time, and you told him or her that their, their church was a dead church, they'd likely respond to you by saying, what do you mean we're a dead church? Just look at what's happening here. We have youth groups, children's ministries, adult Bible classes, home groups every night of the week. We have a cafe. We have a skateboard ministry. We have support groups for working moms, for lethargic dads. You name it. We have a group or program for anyone and everyone. And by the way, can't you see how God is blessing us? Can't you see how he's blessing us? We have a tithe every week that would just blow your socks off. We have the money to build all kinds of extensions on our building to support our rapid growth. And did you see the chandeliers in our hallways? So how can you say we're dead when we have all this awesome stuff going on that reflects God's blessing on us? You're crazy. You're a judge. You're just judging us. You're the one that's dead, brother. Jesus would say to them, Oh, I know your reputation. I know that you have all this stuff going on in my name. I know about the programs. I know about the growth. I know about the abundant material resources, but I'm looking at the things that can't be seen. I'm looking into your hearts. And the truth is, all I see is deadness in there where it really matters most. Ouch. Ouch. We live in a world where activity and abundance of material things, where activity and abundance of material things are there measures of success? And, and in the church, it's considered to be a sign of, of God's pleasure and his blessing and, and spiritual life, but it's a faulty and unreliable measure. It's faulty and unreliable. That, that's not to say that these things might not indicate spiritual life, but they're not the measure of it. They're not the measure of it. Real spiritual life is measured at a much deeper level. It's measured at the level of the heart. And the heart can be dead even though these things are present. There are people who are looking at and they're hanging all of their spiritual 
futures, if you think about it, hanging their spiritual futures on these kinds of things, people will one day find that despite all the outward appearances, they're excluded from entering heaven because Jesus never really knew them because they never really knew Jesus. People are alive outwardly, but dead inwardly. Make sure that you're measuring your spirituality based on the content of your heart, not solely on the externals. Jesus warns us in this passage that the people in the church of Sardis, they were deluded. They were deluded because they were measuring their spirituality based on these wrong things. And as a result, they thought they were alive, but in reality, they were really dead. Remember what Jesus said when he quoted Isaiah, Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9. He's quoting Isaiah, Matthew 15, 8, but he says this. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me. Now, he's talking here, you know, the religious leaders of his day, they were like the church of Sardis. They had all kinds of stuff going on. They were keeping all the laws. They had created law upon law for themselves. They were, they were the people everybody looked up to because they had it all wired up in righteousness. And Jesus says, well, you know what? They draw near me and they say the right words. But in reality, they don't really honor me. You see, their heart is not there. It's just their outward appearance. It's just their outward things. But this isn't toward me. So their worship of me is in vain. Be careful that while engaging in all sorts of spiritual activities in Jesus' name, that, that Jesus, that, it, that, that it's stemming from Jesus who's dwelling in you and, and that he's foremost in your heart and that you're depending on him for your spirituality and not all these other things, you see. Make sure that even though you have a reputation of being spiritually alive, that you're really alive where it matters most in your heart. Because this is what, what Jesus is going to look at and what he is looking at. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.